Welcome back to Second Helping, the top podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of intercollegiate athletics. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network. Joined by my great friend, co-host Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst, also a longtime voter in the race for the top individual award in all of collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, it is Cinco de Mayo <laughs> on this Thursday edition of Second Helping. You got any big, you got any big, culinary plans maybe for later on maybe a burrito maybe yeah, some enchiladas yeah. you know what do you got brent uh one of my favorites uh, fish tacos if i yeah. can uh, wherever yeah. i can find a good mahi fish taco uh that's gold for me trav so uh that that should be a lot of fun and and uh to be able to do that in the month of may used to be just kind of the countdown for the preseason magazines but uh trav right now we're we're dealing with information overload that we've never dealt with aren't we no it's crazy and it is uh a day about fives on may the 5th here you know i think of number fives in college football history it's kind of hard for me to come up with some that really resonate the number five jersey, you know, 12, you can come up with a right, lot of them right. instantaneously, maybe 33, 34, 22, 44, those type of numbers. One, obviously a lot of twos out there. Garrison Hurst, I guess, was a five at the University of Georgia. And then thinking about the most recently completed NFL draft, you had a couple number fives at the defensive back position draft, Kair Elam. Florida, uh, first round pick. And then uh, Jalen Armour Davis of Alabama comes to mind as a number five. But otherwise, um, not a lot of fives that ring true for me. Now, you're, again, more interested in another date. You're more interested in, I guess it's June the 7th, because you have some exciting news on the college football publication front to talk about there. Uh, and by the way, uh, the, the, this is a fascinating subject too with five. Wasn't Paul Horning five Trav? You're right. That's a pretty big five. Yeah. yeah. I know yeah. he was. Yeah. I think he was at Notre Dame and with the Packers. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Louisville, Kentucky native Paul Horning. Uh, uh, and, and, and Trav, uh, uh, excuse the bad pun, but I think. I think Horning had a few filths, did he not? Over yeah, his, uh, yeah. I think uh, five <laughs> rang true for him for sure. Yeah. When it came yeah. to uh, you know when practice was over and maybe post game for and, Paul and what, Horning. Trent was Reggie Bush five. I believe you're right. That's another five. Uh, I need to check on that, but I believe you're absolutely correct on Reggie Bush at uh, USC and that Heisman Trophy winning performance that uh, the the uh your your friends there in new york they rescinded that <laughs> yeah from yeah. reggie back in the yeah, day yeah and, and but the, the the date you're you're thinking about uh we got word this week athlon uh, on sale june the 7th which is later than normal because the magazines the last few years have come, have come out and i'm crazy enough to track them uh around uh, May the 23rd, 21st, something like that. Now we're waiting on word from Lindy's, uh, of course, when they're going to try to come out. And, and the reason is, and 
Travis Ryer, having done a magazine earlier in his life, uh-huh. uh, understands this uh, only too well. Trev, this was cut and dry until the transfer portal, right? You knew when you uh, when you had to have everything in. You knew what had to uh, what had to happen as far as your deadlines. But now with the transfer portal ending on May one, uh, listen. That uh, they pretty much had it all in the can by May 1, didn't they, Trav? They did. You could really count on the mags, it seemed like anyway, back in the day, around Memorial Day. You know, the end yes. of May, yes. uh, you would probably have a couple out maybe oh, by yeah. that point. But no doubt. Um, now with the changes and the portal and everything, I, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine being in that business again with all the changes in college football and you know, how you have to still have a window for print and getting it formatted and laid out and finalized and proofed. And then uh, I understand the printing process itself because the technology has advanced Mm -hmm. a great deal in the 30 years since I was in that business. But still, it's not as easy as just hitting submit for, say, like an online entity. And then it's live and, and ready to go within a matter of seconds once you make that call. So, yeah, tough, tough, tough turnaround for those folks in the print magazine business these days where college football is concerned. And tough for some athletic directors and conference commissioners, oh. it sounds like right now, as we have learned in the last day or so from some national outlets uh, out there that you're going to have a couple of conference commissioners, it sounds like, Brent, in front of Congress here uh, in the next little bit. Uh, in relation to the NIL situation. That hit the timeline for everybody, probably what, Trav, around midnight last night uh, that the Pac-12 commissioner, uh, Kliakoff, George is his first name, and Greg Sankey are going to Washington to meet with uh, some senators about some federal NIL legislation. That Now, I guess the obvious question from our listeners is going to be, do you really want Congress and the government involved with uh, college football. But I think the point of this is uh, the genie's out of the bottle and they they see the roaring train down the tracks. What do you do to get some control over it uh, and what kind of help can they get? Uh, but I think what we're beginning to see in, in the transfer portal and NIL, I know they're two separate things, but they're very much alike because they're kind of intertwined uh, and and I think the important thing is, without going into a whole lot of detail, the American Football Coaches Association wanting to try to set some transfer window limitations uh, or on the portal to help roster management. That's according to Todd Barry. They're suggesting to uh, to have two windows uh, from late November. Uh, in the early signing period in mid-December, the other one from April 15th to May 1. Now, look, is this perfect, Travis? Uh, no, but I, I give these folks credit because I, I think they understand right now the reluctance of the NCAA to really come back and deal with this. So uh, to me, what I read in this, Trav, is, and I give them some credit, it's not perfect, but at least they're trying to do something to slow down the speeding train that's happening right now. Yeah, and it goes back to ultimately leadership in the NCAA not being what it's needed to be 
for years now and not Correct. being proactive and sort of anticipating that this was an inevitability. You weren't going to be able to maintain the product no. uh, that, that you had for, say, in the uh, third from 30, 40 years ago. Um, that wasn't going to be sustainable. Uh, the, 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 the plan, the, the approach. So, uh, it kind of goes back to that. You know, I still put most of this at the feet of university presidents, the NCAA, yep. Good uh, point. who weren't willing to sort of come around or at least even acknowledge that this was a very real mile marker on the horizon. And right. suddenly it's here and no one had a plan. And so I don't know exactly what you do at this point. I do think there's going to have to be some form of regulation. I'm cynical enough to believe that where where the schools and the programs are concerned, it's more about concern about money going out of their pockets and yes. into the players. No question. Than it is the integrity of the sport, <laughs> you know, or those type of things. And I've said this since we learned of NIL going into play. That was going to be the problem the major concern for Mm -hmm. universities and athletic departments is that all of those big booster dollars, all of those big sponsorship dollars that had been going totally into the coffers of the universities and the athletic departments. Now you had individual entities in the form of the student athletes that could detract from that massive haul that schools and programs benefit from on an annual basis saying so that's where i sort of lack a bit of sympathy when it comes to the universities and the athletic departments travis i wonder uh and i know this is some revisionist history here but if the ncaa had allowed uh what five ten years ago for uh student athletes to have Uh, Got some extra money, but maybe for an autograph, maybe for for an appearance would would have not went crazy uh, over them getting tattoos and things of that nature, uh, as we saw at Ohio State. Uh, Trav, could they have headed a lot of this off before it ever began? Now, it may still have morphed into what it is now, but I'm just wondering if they had been smart enough to have have given the players some leniency instead of virtually wanting to throw them in uh, college football jail for, for almost a little bit of nothing, would we be going through this right now? No, it's it's an antiquated system, but we've been saying that, you know, that take is antiquated because we've been saying it for so long. We've been sure. saying that for 20 or 30 years. Right. And I don't know if it wasn't, I don't know if it was a case of university presidents and the NCAA not being smart enough. I think it was a lot of just outright arrogance. Yes. You know, we're bigger than U.S. Steel, to borrow a line from Hyman Raw. Right. And The Godfather, too. And (laughs) sort of that belief that, you know, we are this enormous entity uh, that can't be really uh, fractured in any sort of way. And, well, here we are. And so with this stuff in front of Congress. Um, you know, there's another side of this too, for the student athletes that I think they have a blind spot in terms of how this might impact their status as employees, eventually, um, financial ramifications that could come f- from it. 
the need for them to position themselves not only with folks who can bring them money, but those who can help them in terms of taxation and the potential for all those things that are on the horizon. Um, that's where you have concern for the 18 yeah. and 19 year olds in this stuff as well. Now, you know, obviously from an integrity perspective, it, it damages the sport. If you're allowed to basically use May one as a leverage sort of scenario and try to create better deals for yourself uh, up to that deadline, or I'm going to go to a competitor for more money. Yeah. I, I think they're going to have to come up with a structure of some kind with windows in play where, okay, we're dead during this period. You can, you know, do some things during this window, kind of like recruiting dead yes. periods, quiet periods, you know, the live periods, things like that. Well, uh, and I think that's what Todd Barry's trying to do with that American Coaches Association is to come up with some kind of parameters that they can use along this line. Now, obviously, Jordan Addison at Pitt, uh, and is he going to USC? Could he go to Alabama? Where where might that be? Uh, Look, uh, Trav, the thing you and I are seeing here is what you and I have seen for ever since we've been in the business since the early 90s, Except it's it's legal now in some way. So uh, it's out in the it, open. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and a lot of these a lot of these coaches who have been quoted over the last few days have basically said the same thing. They said, "Look, this is nothing we haven't dealt with for the last several decades." There's a lot of truth to that. No doubt about it. And we talk about potential for wide receivers on the move. Addison in the last few days seen in Southern California working out with Alabama quarterback yeah. Bryce Young, that certainly raised a few eyebrows. And that's an yes. interesting scenario in and of itself when you start to hear talk about, well, maybe Alabama's involved. Well, Alabama's already been to the transfer portal twice for wide yes. receivers. Yes. And so if you are a team that's in the market, timing is everything, too, in terms of when you commit to imports and bring them in. Alabama went there with Jermaine Burton back in really December or actually January Mm -hmm. after the national championship game uh, against the Georgia Bulldogs. So he comes in Uh, here more recently. Tyler Harrell from Louisville uh, announces he's going to transfer into Alabama. So that's two wide receivers. Uh, Even Alabama has a limit. Now, Alabama is in a good position because. You know, they're in a spot where they don't have enough spots for probably all the talented guys Mm -hmm. that want to come over. So, but again, you're talking about Addison as the reigning Blitnikoff award winner. Yeah. Um, I guess the point is, if you're even a program like Alabama, you have to take into consideration that right up at the deadline of May 1st, there still may be some guys out there that you want to add and you got to perhaps save a spot or two for those scenarios. Yeah, and, and Nick Saban certainly knows, uh, or the or his guys coming out from high school ready to play, and how quickly can they go? And and by the way, Trav, my last thing for the Addison situation, I understand that uh, Pat Narduzzi and uh, Lincoln Riley on that on that May one had several phone calls between themselves uh, <laughs> uh can you imagine being a fly on the wall trap of those phone calls oh wow <laughs> yeah a little oh. different 
little yeah. different points of view probably oh, involved in that phone call. And we talk about receivers on the move. It looks like Southern California. We talk about wide receivers and Southern Cal. Uh, one of their wide receivers who actually, I believe, began his career at Texas for a very short stint right. is now on his way back east, this time to the University of Tennessee. Uh, Brew McCoy is making that move. Five-star prospect caught 21 passes for 236. Uh, so that, and he'll be uh, uh, connecting with Hendon Hooker. Trev, I, I really had to see this in print this week to, to kind of be reminded of actually that Hendon Hooker is 24 years old. And if he is interested, I'm sure he is in the NFL, his birthday's in January, which means by the time he gets involved with the draft, he's going to be 25. And, and, and just think about that for a minute. And we know this has happened with guys like Chris Winky, uh, who, who was in his upper 20s. Obviously, he played baseball, but uh, look, I know Hooker is not a Heisman Trophy candidate necessarily, but uh, 24 years old, that's a a real difference in the trail from your guy, from your quarterbacks in the league who are what, 18, 19, and 20? Yeah, we've seen this. You said it with Winky and some other guys. Usually it involves minor league baseball or professional right. baseball and then the yes. decision to circle back and go the college football route we've certainly seen that on multiple occasions over the last 15 or 20 years uh in football and really when you talk about Hendon Hooker and wanted to get into some of this today as well understanding that Bryce Young is going to be the preseason first team all SEC quarterback you know when we get together and we do our preseason voting coming up uh, for SEC media days in July, that's going to happen. Bryce Young will be the first-team quarterback, reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Makes plenty of sense, right? But, man, when you get into that second team and you start considering the options in the preseason, Hendon Hooker is certainly going to be at the top of that list, along with guys like Will Levis of Kentucky, who you're seeing, by the way, kind of surprised me this week. Will Levis showing up in the top ten picks. Yeah. of mock first rounds for the 2023 NFL draft. Now, I understood Will Levis had a nice year. I understand Will Levis, 6'3", 230, can move. I, I got all that, but that still still kind of caught me uh, by yeah. surprise a Absolutely. little bit there. Um, we talk about Will Rogers, Max Johnson now at Texas A&M. Uh, gosh, K.J. Jefferson yes. at at Arkansas. And that's before we talk about the defending national champions with Stetson <laughs> Bennett at quarterback. So, uh, what do you think? Who, who do you think will be the second team all SEC quarterback when the preseason vote is taken at SEC MD 22 coming up in July? Uh, listen, it's a fascinating question. A lot of ways. And my question back to you with this is I thought about this, Trav, you mentioned K.J. Jefferson. He's lost some weight. I mean, he's still a behemoth in the line of scrimmage, but he's gotten better. But for for a guy like for a guy like Jefferson to really be considered as number is the second best would travel. They have to end up second to Bama in the West 
I wonder for, for that to really be good because I know the guys who vote on this would probably keep that in mind. And, and, and another guy that, 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 that's also come to mind and we don't know this yet. A lot of the other guys you mentioned, we've seen the, seen them play. Could, could Billy Napier get a little bit of lightning in a bottle from Anthony Richardson, maybe, uh, but I, I don't know if the Gators have got the receivers to do that. Uh, so I tell and you, can he stay healthy? Yeah. It, absolutely. But it, it, it's fascinating what it would take for a lot of these guys to end up his second team all SEC. Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you think about how we're not even having a discussion for first team all yeah. SEC at yeah. quarterback. Right, and that's because Bryce Young threw 47 touchdown passes and yes. for nearly 5,000 yards and completed 67 percent of his passes. <laughs> but then, I mean, you look at Will Rogers uh, led the SEC in sure. passing yards per game. Now, yards per attempt were down from guys like Bryce Young and Hooker and uh, Bennett and KJ Jefferson. Now, Mississippi State obviously throws it more by a pretty wide margin than any other team in the SEC, but yeah, I mean, Max Johnson, the potential for him at Texas A&M. And, oh, that's before you consider some of these position battles. What about Miles Brennan at LSU? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, Johnson at A&M. And, you know, you, you get to the point where when you formulate this kind of list, you start thinking about, well, who are we not mentioning? And you worry about those teams. When you have this type of quarterback depth in the SEC going into a season and you've yet to mention Auburn, and right. you, know, you haven't even mentioned South Carolina with Spencer Rattler with Spen- yes. coming in. Yeah, um, that's that's when you worry for some of those teams a little bit. But I went to Twitter with that very same question, Brent, <laughs> and I presented a poll. And the three primary options were Hendon Hooker, Stetson Bennett, and Will Levis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I offered a tweet in option. Now KJ Jefferson got some love on yeah, the tweet. Yeah, I bet in. he did. Hendon Hooker got 48% of the vote to this point with over 120 votes in. Right. Uh, Will Levis next at 25%. And then Stetson Bennett, the Rodney Dangerfield of Mm -hmm. SEC quarterbacks. No respect for Stetson. 21% for Stetson Bennett. But, yeah, I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch play out at SEC Media Days. And I know you've mentioned as well in our discussions, the running back position could be very similar in that regard. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, and, and look, that to me, there's a lot more mystery uh, somewhat as far as a running game. Uh, I mean, you think about the losses that Georgia had, uh, uh, frankly, with with Cook leaving and being drafted. Uh, Jabari Small has been mentioned a good bit uh, at Tennessee. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, Jameer Gibbs, Travis, I think he's gotten a lot of people's attention early on uh, with the potential that he could. But again, it's hard to have this discussion without mentioning Tank Bigsby uh, certainly as one, certainly as one, two or three, right? Yeah. Four of the top six rushers from a year ago in the SEC have moved on. Tyler Beatty at number one, Brian Robinson at three, Isaiah Spiller at five, Tyra. Uh, Ty Davis price at six. So you've actually got some attrition, but you've got some transfer imports yeah. too that could very well impact this thing. You mentioned Gibbs, but you know, we understand LSU uh, mm-hmm. is, is got that potential as well. So um, 
Yeah, I would think it would start with, say, Chris Rodriguez and Tank Bigsby, maybe as the first team guys. Um, but some of these transfers, by the time we get to the postseason teams, could certainly have a say in a lot of that as well. And we talk about these skill positions, Brent. We never talk enough about offensive lines. And so you got to factor some of that into this discussion as well when you're looking at a quarterback situation. Hendon Hooker, is he going to have a left tackle? Um, right. you know, how is he going to be protected and his sustainability, given that he is a threat with his legs? Same thing for Will Levis um, and even Bryce Young. I mean, we, we talk about these quarterbacks. We talk about these running backs. But I look at the SEC on the offensive side of the ball right now, and I think I have more questions about offensive lines around the league than I do anything else. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And uh, Matt Hayes uh, did a poll that uh, this week on the offensive lines in the league and to back up what you say, what you're saying, like six is LSU, seven is Auburn, eight is Florida, for instance, offensive lines with teams that you would normally think in given years would be way up there. He's got Arkansas at one with four or five coming back. Georgia and Alabama. Trev, how about Ole Miss at four? Mason Brooks, the Western Kentucky transfer, comes over. Uh, Jeremy James, who started 23 games. Look, when you throw Evans from TCU coming over, uh, Jackson Dart, if that goes, uh, along with Altmeyer, uh boy, that what we've been talking about uh, a lot of offenses, haven't talked a whole lot about, uh, about Ole Miss, but there's some pretty good potential there for Lane Kiffin in this bunch, too. Yeah, I think when you're formulating those kind of lists, you're obviously looking at returning starters. I mean, that makes mm-hmm. the most sense. And so from that perspective, Arkansas, very sensible. And you also consider that the head coach is an OL guy. Yeah, Sam Pittman. Absolutely. So you're going to like their chances of being strong up front. Um, I think Texas A&M might be undervalued a little bit at five. Yep. Good point. We talked about some of the growing pains they underwent. The Aggies did up front with the mass exodus from 2020 into the 2021 season and thought they really got better as the season moved along. But it's kind of the common theme here with um, with these teams is offensive tackle. You just can't have enough of them. And no. Phil for Vanderbilt, you know, Tyler Steen was obviously – that yeah. team's top offensive lineman, now he's at Alabama. We talk about transfer portal moves, uh, not just impacting quarterback and running back and in those spots, but Alabama banking on Tyler Steen being a starter at one of those two tackle spots. So, uh, yeah, a little love, Brent, a little love for the uh, offensive lines out there in the SEC. Hey, I see here, too. You've got some updated week one college football <laughs> lines, betting lines for us. Any of those, any of those strike you in a particular way? Uh, I, I'm interested in this Florida Utah line that has been very close. Look, if you ask me to pick the winner of that game right now, I, I'm not sure I wouldn't pick Utah. I uh, would, fr- yeah. frankly, along the line of scrimmage. Uh, Trev, I was listening to Jacob Hester this week tell a quick. And I'll be quick about this. He's when he was playing at LSU, he said Arizona came to Baton Rouge for the season opener, and he said he noticed that Arizona went in twenty minutes 
before uh, their allotted time was over for pregame warmups. And what they found out later was the humidity was so bad and Arizona was struggling with it so much that now, now get, get, get this travel. This wasn't at halftime. This was before the kickoff that they were, <laughs> they were throwing they up melted. And, yeah. and needed and needed uh, IVs before they kicked off. Jacob Hester said, we knew when they came back out uh, before we kicked off, we'd already won the game. You know, and the thing is, if you've been to Tucson, Arizona in the summer, it's not exactly 75 degrees. I'm sure it's not. And uh, breezy. It's hot. Yeah. It's in excess of 100 degrees pretty much every day. But as the old saying goes, it's a dry heat. Mm -hmm. It's not a swamp heat. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference when you get into southern Louisiana and this part of the country in general in those humature areas. numbers start to crank up let me ask you this looking at this group of week one games and the lines involved here right i see lsu a three and a half point mm-hmm. pick over florida state now that game's in new orleans right it is it is, is yes. that the mercedes-benz or what was the mercedes-benz superdome um that's a huge game for mike norvell isn't it i mean no if doubt. you're going to get a win over an SEC team like an LSU and Brian Kelly's debut with the Tigers, this has kind of got to be it, you would think. Jordan Travis, the more experienced quarterback uh, in this situation, too, for Florida State, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, I would, Trev, I would still say even a LSU line of scrimmage with the attrition that they've had is probably still better than yeah. what Florida State's got right now. We, better players, still better players, I think, for well, us, that, you'd think. Uh, that tells you something, don't it, Trav, about where yeah. uh, where Florida State has been. But again, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, who is that? who is that LSU quarterback going to be? And uh, I think one of the more, one of the more interesting notes uh, that I saw this week, and again, I give Matt Hayes credit for this, is Brian Kelly at LSU, they worked a lot, not much was said about this, but they worked a lot on running the ball because last year, LSU, average per carry was like 3.3 yards a carry. For Notre Dame, when Kelly's been there, they basically averaged five yards Per run, you run twice and you get a first down. So uh, might that continue to be a real emphasis for LSU? And boy, if you don't know who your quarterback is, Trav, if you can run the ball in that opener, what a help that would be. It also helps that you have Kayshawn Butte on the outside when you don't run it. So the pieces are in place. And I think LSU will end up being just fine at quarterback. It, mm-hmm. you know, who knows if Miles Brennan is the guy? Can he stay healthy? Um, but they have some solid options there to choose from. Garrett Nussmeyer could very well be the wild card and all that. That's right. Sort of the guy no one really talks about. He's not a transfer. He's he's not a fifth year type of guy. But um, you know, he could end up being big in that thing out in Baton Rouge. Anything else for us, Brent, before we head to our favorite Mexican restaurant to go uh, ahead and uh-huh. crank up the margaritas and the, uh, you know, maybe the salsa and the guac, you know, what else you got for us, Brent, before we get uh, out of here? 
and, and listen, by, by the way, the Arkansas minus eight what was Cincinnati. Yeah. Now, now after Cincinnati making the playoffs last year, and obviously they lost a lot of folks to, to the NFL, which for Luke Fickle is a real feather in his cap. I tell you what, Trap, people may not have noticed that yet. Arkansas plays Cincinnati. They play BYU. And Weird the, timing with the BYU. Really is. Games, in an October. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not I, a time you want to be going no, out to Provo. But but that is that's a fascinating game to me. And and uh, would that not help Sam Pittman as far as just and look, Cincinnati will lose a lot of folks, but Cincinnati is considered now maybe. Uh, I mean, they're not Southern Cal, they're not Penn right. State, they're not Ohio State, but that would be that would be a nice opening win for Pittman and the Hogs. Yeah, it would. No Desmond Ritter, no Jerome Ford, no Sauce right. Gardner. No Kobe Bryant in that secondary. No Alec Pierce at wide receiver. So it is a Cincinnati program very much in sort of rebuild mode under Luke Fickle. But we talked about this in relation to Arkansas in the past. Is that roster ready for what it is going right. to see? Not right. only Good point. because of the run of the SEC. I mean, you go through, here's October. Alabama and Fayetteville October 1st. Then you go to Mississippi State, the 8th. Then you go to Provo for that game against BYU on the 15th. Uh, then you go to Auburn on October the 29th. Now, you get a bye week before you make that trip. But, you know, look at October and those three straight road games after you get Alabama at home. And, by the way, you get Alabama at home after you take on Texas A&M wow. at Jerry World. So, just from September the 24th through October the 29th, that five or six week run by the time Arkansas gets to a non-conference matchup with Liberty in early November, I think we'll know a lot about how this team has held up. Did pretty well with it. We talked about it off season last year that the schedule last year, I thought gave them a better chance there right, right. late in the season. And I thought that played out that way, but uh, boy, not going to be easy when you mix in that type of non-conference uh, challenger to for Sam Pittman. All right, Brent, anything else? In uh, the converse of that is true for Georgia. After that Oregon game, I was listening to a discussion about this this week. Georgia's biggest test, Trav, is like, is like, <laughs> it, no, it is like November 11th or whatever that is with Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, kind of worked Man. out that way last year for the dogs. Too. Oh. Somebody from the East has got to step up. Now, maybe that'll be That's Tennessee. Right. Um, yep. But, you know, Florida doesn't figure to be that team in year one under Billy Napier. Maybe the Gators will surprise. Um, but Oregon in the non-con uh, should work out well. Uh, we going to see Bo Nix against Georgia again, maybe, yeah, maybe. in that one. Um, and then Tech is still. That's not Paul Johnson Tech. No, no, by the way, absolutely not. No. All right, Brent. Well, have a great weekend, my friend. Always fun to talk with you here on Second Helping. If you haven't subscribed to the pod as of yet, you should certainly do that ASAP. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. We would certainly appreciate that as well. Brent, till next time, have a good one. We will look forward to it. And hopefully between now and next time, uh, you know, that, that seismograph went off in LSU in Tiger Stadium with Garth Brooks there. Hopefully we, we won't have uh, 
a whole bunch of seismograph things happen in college football between now and when we get together again. Yeah, you know, Garth making things tough on SEC football stadium groundskeepers, <laughs> just tearing up that side. I'm guessing Absolutely. maybe Garth has that in his deal. Maybe he's Probably. replacing some yeah. some surfaces, although I think Arkansas might be field turf. Mm-hmm. To check on that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right, Brent. For Brent Beard, Travis Rowe, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping. Until next time, so long, everybody.